0: Hi, everyone. Welcome to Clearview Community Church. We are one church in multiple locations that exists to help people become fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ. My name is Clayton, and it is a real special privilege to be able to talk with you today. Today, I'm diving into Luke chapter 12, and we're talking about worry. Now, it's pretty interesting. We all worry. It seems like a basic human experience. But today, I want to show you and I want to remind myself I don't need to worry. Instead, I want to seek and trust God. I don't need to forget about my concerns, but I do want to trust God with them and in them. So let's get some background before I dive into our passage for today from Luke chapter 12. Now, in the previous section to this portion of Luke 12, Jesus tells a story about a really rich man who has a really great harvest. His storage barns for all of his grain is already full, so he decides that the best option is to tear down the existing barns, build bigger ones to store his incredible wealth of produce. And in doing so, the man demonstrates a high degree of greed, and an incredibly low degree of consideration for people who are around him in great need. Now, his plan is to eat and drink and be merry for the rest of his life. Not meaning that he's simply going to take it easy, but his plan is to live a wasteful, gorging, and in luxury for the rest of his life. Now, in contrast, there are those in his neighborhood who live day to day, unsure if they have anything to eat. And in the end of this story, the man's life is taken from him. It's a pretty intense story, spoken to the people who are in dispute, fueled by their own greed. The rich fool's heart is one of greed, and his wealth and how to protect that wealth became his sole obsession. Think it through with me for a minute. He has to tear down his barn. Well, that takes a lot of work, and I personally don't think he did it himself. He likely hired for it. Now, that's a fair bit of wages to pay as well, but not all of the crops now survive the teardown and the move and the rebuild. So now he's wasted crops, basically burning through money unnecessarily. Now he has to rebuild bigger barns. It takes a lot of time and a lot of money to do that. And this is all by hand in this era. There's no power tools around. So then he puts all of the harvest that was ready before this project began and stores whatever remains after some of it wastes away during that time frame for the project. This rich fool, he has one thing in mind. We get a picture of a man who is consumed by one thought, the thought of more. So today we follow with further comments that Jesus makes about this man's mindset. He has a mindset of worry, whether or not he wanted to admit it or not. He was consumed with the one thought, that one thought that dominated his life, and we call it greed. But let's look further at Jesus' comments towards the crowd. This crowd that doesn't have the same financial capabilities as that rich fool. And so this is from Luke chapter 12, starting at verse 22. Then Jesus said to his disciples, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat, or about your body, what you will wear. For life is more than food, and the body is more than clothes. Consider the ravens. They do not sow or reap. They have no storeroom or barn, yet God feeds them. And how much more valuable you are than those birds." Who of you can add who of you by worrying can add a single hour to your life? Since you cannot do this very little thing, why do you worry about the rest? Consider how the wild flowers grow. They do not labor or spin, yet I tell you, not even Solomon, in all his splendor, was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today, and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, how much more will he clothe you? you of little faith. And do not set your heart on what you will eat or drink. Do not worry about it. For the pagan world runs after all such things, and your father knows that you need them. But seek his kingdom, and these things will be given to you as well. Do not be afraid, little flock, for your father has been pleased to give you the kingdom, sell your possessions, and give to the poor. Provide purses for yourselves that will not wear out. A treasure in heaven that will never fail. Where no thief comes near and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. All right, so I think there's a lot going on with this passage. There's a lot of ideas presented to deal with what Jesus is trying to communicate layered on top of each other. So to help, I've broken this down into two parts. The first part is the worries of the heart. And then the second part is setting the heart and seeking the kingdom. So let's deal with part one, the worries of the heart. And this is specifically verses 22 to 28. Jesus dives right in with the statement, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or about your body and what you will wear. So immediately I have questions and maybe you do too, because I'm told I can't worry anymore. Even those who were hearing this for the first time in their day and age, they would be stunned by this. Don't worry about what you're going to eat. Well, that's simple for someone who has a full fridge or a full pantry at home. But what about someone who's living today, paycheck to paycheck? Or even in the ancient world, where food preservation techniques, those were less advanced. And let's remember that the economic situations of many were even worse You know, there's a group of people who are hearing Jesus and they would actually have to pray, God, give us today our daily bread. And they really meant it because they're day workers. And to work meant to eat and to not work meant to go hungry. One disaster or sprained ankle to the breadwinner of the family meant disaster for that entire family. But I'm not supposed to worry about my food or clothes. So Jesus, what he does here is he takes two illustrations from nature possibly around him as he's speaking, to illustrate why worry is not the need. So first is the ravens. He says, consider the ravens. They do not sow or reap. They have no storeroom or barn, yet God feeds them. And how much more valuable you are than birds. Now, ravens, they're common birds, but they're also considered religiously unclean in the Jewish community that Jesus is from. He knows that people shouldn't go near them, touch them, or eat them at all. And they're common and unclean, but they still have their basic need for food met by God. And then he uses a second illustration. Consider how the wildflowers grow. They do not labor or spin, yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his splendor was not dressed like one of these. If God, That's how God clothes the grass of the fields, which is here today, and tomorrow is thrown into the fire. How much more will he clothe you, you of little faith? So that quote from Jesus, he addresses the second major worry. What about clothes? What about the basic tool that I need for protecting decency in my world? Now, in the ancient world, clothing isn't a right. There were people who couldn't afford much, often, as a huge segment of the population. Now, most people had one set of clothing, sometimes a second. And to have no clothing meant to be naked in some form in public, which is a sign of great shame socially in that specific day and age. It was a sign that some believed meant that the gods had abandoned or maybe even cursed you. To live without clothing was a huge deal, possibly something that socially an individual would never be able to recover from. But the contrast arises. God clothes the grass of the field with flowers. It becomes beautiful even Solomon, known for his great wisdom, along with his great wealth and great clothes, he didn't even come close to some of the natural garden spaces and their beauty. If that's what God does for the fields, imagine what he does for you, the one that he loves and the one that he cares for. So here's the deal with our two illustrations that Jesus gives us. It seems to me that two things are happening simultaneously. First, that worry is a common experience. And secondly, worry doesn't produce any desired result. In fact, it seems the opposite of worry, whatever that is, actually does produce the desired result. See, the raven doesn't work, it doesn't toil, and doesn't worry, and it's always fed somehow. Meanwhile, the grass that does nothing to do so, somehow is still clothed in beauty by the flowers of the field. Meanwhile, the one who worries... And does worry about food and clothing in moments of hunger and nakedness, it seems to me that Jesus is pointing to a problem, that worry doesn't work. It should be said here that uh, I don't mean worry, it doesn't mean to be thinking about something, but I think it does mean to think about it to the point of where it's unreasonable or all consuming or actually beyond the benefit to yourself. I definitely don't think Jesus is telling us to never think about our next meal or to never concern ourselves with clothing. It's really not it at all. Instead, I think what we're given is a glimpse into the heart. Now, the heart is the location of decision and desire in the human being. And if the things that are temporary are the things that the heart primarily desires and and longs for as its first priority and pursues as its primary decision— that heart will always want more, because you know what? There's always another meal to be had, and the clothes will always at least go out of style and wear out. The worry that is misplaced desire becoming all-consuming to the decision-making of the heart, it's where our heart becomes tainted. That decision and its desire becomes tainted by the temporary needs of this world, and it can't be seen anywhere beyond it. And this leads me to the second portion of this text. Set your heart and seek the kingdom. This is verses 29 to 34. Now Jesus says this really important few sentences in the middle here. He says, do not set your heart on what you will eat or drink. Do not worry about it. For the pagan world runs after all such things. And your father knows that you need them. But seek his kingdom and these things will be given to you as well. So two directives are given here. Set your heart and seek his kingdom. These two keys are the key to living a life where worry doesn't dominate your heart. The phrase, do not set your heart on what you will eat or drink, it can also be translated, do not seek what you will eat or drink. Again, I don't think Jesus is telling us to brainlessly never think about food or clothing, but he's telling us not to worry the all-consuming thought, the overthinking that becomes our only process and factor in decision and desire in our hearts. That's what we're moving against. And so Jesus says, do not seek that, instead seek his kingdom. What it is, is a realigning of priorities. It's a move from the temporary to the eternal. It's a move from the present one moment to the future many more. When we're taught to pray, we don't say, give me tons of food. Instead, we're taught to pray, give us today our daily bread and your kingdom come and your will be done here on earth as it is in heaven. So this passage, it may not just be a passage about worry or anxiety, although I think it is helpful for those of us that worry lots. It may have more to do with our priorities than we give it credit for. So let's cover that again. Our heart is the location of decision and desire. And worry is that all consuming thought process that drastically affects our decisions and our desires. And when worry runs our life, the kingdom of God does not. So, do you see now the problem of worry? It doesn't pay off. Worry definitely doesn't advocate for you. Worry does not solve the problem. I think it may cause it. There's a lot to worry about in this world. But the problem is that when we worry, it's never satisfied. And if it is, it will only be temporarily so. If you're worried about food, then get a meal, and then hunger will come again. If you're worried about a staff meeting, there will be another one in about a week or so. If you're worried about a vehicle breaking down, I can guarantee that the next one will break down again and again and again. If you're worried about your children, there will be another worry for your child because they will become a teenager, and then they will become a young adult, and then they will become a young professional, and then they will possibly have kids of their own, and now you get to worry for your grandchildren. If you let it, worry will consume your heart. It will take over your decisions and desires. But instead, if you set your heart and you seek the kingdom of God first, you will often find that your needs are met. What would it look like if your worries were turned into moments of surrender? What would it look like for those moments of worry to say, God, I see this problem, and I know that you see this problem, and I'm going to trust you with this. I will do what I can do, and I will seek your kingdom first in this. I think you would find that your experience would be vastly different than if you spent the next 30 minutes to an hour thinking of the multitude of possible ways that this one scenario can go crazily wrong. Our hearts are the location of decision and desire in our lives. And this section of scripture shows me two options of how we can operate. One, we fill that location of decision and desire and we fill it with worry and we allow those worries to direct our lives. Or, option two, we can seek the kingdom first and our decisions and desires change not to our own but representative of the values of the kingdom of God that the followers of Jesus claim an allegiance to. And this is where I think Jesus gets to the heart of the matter. Where you place your heart. Where do you place your heart? Is it the worries of the world or the kingdom of God? What is the first priority of your heart? Is it the stuff like that rich fool previously? Or is it the kingdom that Jesus brings? So a few months ago, I was in one of what I would call the more stressful seasons of my adult life. I was finishing a few major projects at work, a few major personal projects. Our house was under renovation, major renovation. Our vehicle was involved in an accident. And I, with Amy Lynn, my wife was making a transition from one church to another. And so for the first time in my life, I actually had trouble sleeping. Now, for some of you, I know that's a day-to-day experience, but I am blessed with the superpower of closing my eyes and falling asleep within 60 seconds. I tell you, it's brilliant. But for a season, it wasn't happening. My mind would remember all the things that had to be done, big and small. And then it would remember the conversations that I needed to have and practice the conversations in my head mind. And the potential of every problem to get solved or to get worse would rack through my brain. But I tell you the truth, the things that worried me when I took my desired outcome away and I placed the kingdom of God as the key desire of my heart in those situations. I was a witness to God, working and moving in incredible ways. So today, my encouragement for you is not to ignore or forget your concerns of this world. But don't turn them into worry. Don't set your heart on them. Don't let them be the primary factor of decision and desire in your life. Today, instead, let the kingdom of God be what you seek in every situation, in every scenario, concern, and every care. Why? Because God loves you. He sees you. Not only does he feed the ravens and clothe the fields, he will take care of you because he promised he will never leave you. He will never turn his back on you. And that Christ will be with you to the very end of this age. So let's pray together. God, there are a lot of reasons to be concerned in this world. And you promise us that you are with us, that you see these things, and that you've overcome them. So we make a statement today that is easy to say, and hard to live out. God, we trust you. Help us to set our hearts on the kingdom that you have established and not to set them on the worries of this world. Thank you for your constant great love. We praise in Jesus' name, amen. Hey, thanks for joining us today at Clearview Community Church for this incredibly interesting and maybe difficult conversation. Now, for any information you'd like or maybe to reach out, if you're worrying about something and you would like to speak with a pastor or pray with someone, we would love to connect with you. You just have to reach out to us via our website, clearviewcommunity.church. God bless you, and we'll see you next time.